Norwegian authorities claim Russia may sabotage their energy infrastructure if relations with the West deteriorate. This comes just days after a prominent American journalist revealed a report that Oslo colluded with Washington to blow up the Nord Stream pipelines. Indian tax authorities raid BBC offices in New Delhi and Mumbai reportedly over allegations of tax evasion, as according to RT's sources. Beijing and Tehran sign a series of new bilateral agreements in defiance of U.S. pressure seeking to isolate Iran and keep China from expanding its influence. Just turned 8 p.m. here in the Russian capital, and this is RT International with the latest world news update. It's good to have your company this hour. Now, our top story. Norwegian police claim Russia has plans to spy on its energy infrastructure this year, possibly even sabotage it if relations with the West continue to deteriorate. In 2023, Russia will try to gather intelligence about most aspects of Norway's oil, gas and energy sector. Police Security Service considers it unlikely that Russia will carry out any act of sabotage in Norwegian territory in 2023. If Russia's willingness to escalate the conflict with NATO and the West were to increase, however, acts of sabotage against strategic targets in Norway will become a more likely scenario. In the current security policy situation, Police Security Service considers the petroleum sector to be a particularly vulnerable target. Russia has yet to comment on Oslo's claims. Well, that comes days after, after a prominent U.S. journalist, Seymour Hirsch, alleged Norway itself had a hand in blowing up the Nord Stream pipelines. According to his investigation, Oslo helped the U.S. plan the operation, as well as notify Sweden and Denmark, and that a Norwegian plane dropped sonar buoys that communicated with the planted explosives. Now, as Russian energy supplies to Europe have decreased dramatically, Norway is now Europe's largest gas supplier. In 2022, the country's tax revenue from oil and gas increased three times compared to the previous year. Oslo cites its role in Europe's energy security as the reason why Russia may spy on it. Norway's former prime minister and the secretary general of NATO has pledged to increase infrastructure security, saying its pipelines were seen to be vulnerable. Allies will also... Uh, start to discuss uh, the new defense investment pledge, protection of critical infrastructure, um, uh, in particular uh, undersea infrastructure, offshore infrastructure, uh, because we have seen that uh, uh, these undersea uh, cables, pipelines are vulnerable and it's important that we coordinate more our efforts uh, to uh, protect uh, critical uh, infrastructure. Earlier, we spoke with German politician and European Parliament member Gunnar Beck, who said Norway, together with Germany and other Western states, is simply not keen on digging into the truth behind the Nord Stream bombings, as the Hirsch revelations are an embarrassment for European leaders. There's now much talk about the protection of critical infrastructure in the future. Well, I think the best thing to do right now would be to start with an impartial investigation. But no one, no one in the West is keen on it. The Swedes are, may have carried out an investigation, but they keep quiet about it. Uh, the Norwegians, that according to Mr. Hirsch, uh, uh, were involved, uh, 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 
don't want an explanation. They also profit from the breakdown of the North Stream 2 um, gas supply uh, pipelines. Um, the German government has no interest. The EU Commission has no interest. One is beginning to wonder what they're all trying to hide. As to the claims made by the Norwegian official bodies, the issue of what Russia may or may not, may want or not want to do against Norway in the future is neither here or there. We haven't seen any uh, attacks on Norwegian air infrastructure. There's no immediate sign of it. I think the best way to prevent such attacks or if the Norwegians are particularly keen to discuss the possibility of such attacks is they played an active role in investigating uh, who's really behind the North Stream attacks. And the Norwegians haven't been all that cooperative so far. Practically everyone in the West is satisfied uh, with the uh, as yet prevailing view or official view that Russia destroyed its own infrastructure. But let me assure you, a large part of uh, the German population, a large part uh, uh, the European population um, are far from convinced by the official view. There's just no motive Russia may have had. Why should they destroy their own uh, valuable infrastructure? Mr. Hirsch's revelations are add to the embarrassment of the German government. Let's put it clearly. If the US were responsible, then the German government would be the last uh, 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 institution in the world to press them to admit it. Kiev is preparing for a so-called great event in which it plans to accuse Moscow of radioactively contaminating Ukrainian territories. Those are the revelations from Russia's defense ministry, which adds that Ukraine is getting help from the EU and Norway for the implementation of its plan. Specialists from the Norwegian Radiation and Nuclear Safety Directorate were involved in the preparation of the documentary's basis and its so-called independent conclusion on the alleged effects of radiation on the population of the north and northwest Kiev regions. The practical implementation of a large-scale information provocation began at the end of January 2023 with a formal referral to the EU's Emergency Response Coordination Center at the official request of the Kiev regime for the supply of 66,000 sets of special protective clothing, 20 million civilian gas masks, as well as chemical reconnaissance devices, dosimeters, and a wide range of antidotes to Ukraine. According to Russia, Kiev is preparing, is using the international community to prepare what Russia is calling a provocation. They have invited Norway specialists to, well, come and see how things are at the, in the direct vicinity of the Chernobyl nuclear power plant. And according to the information at Russia's disposal, they are ready to make the conclusion that the Russian forces during their stay, during when they were still in control of that part of Ukraine, basically that they are responsible for 
before contaminating larger swathes of land. Now, I am talking about radioactive contamination. What is interesting, they aren't just talking about the direct, the closest vicinity to the Chernobyl power plant, but rather they will also be, they have also apparently uh, took their readings in uh, the settlements of Bucha in the town of Gostomel and Irpin. Now, it is important to understand that geographically these towns are, well, tens of kilometers away from the Chernobyl nuclear power plant, and it is unclear how the radiation and basically the, the, the disaster of the 80s, it has been contained long, long time ago, and it is unclear how the radiation could have traveled this far away from the facility itself. Now, interestingly enough, again, I personally did have a chance to visit the Chernobyl power plant uh, back when the, again, when the Russian forces were still in control of uh, the Chernobyl power plant. And while we were there, it was perfectly safe. We were shown dosimeters and their readings were absolutely fine and within the norm and in fact, well below the norm. And also, on top of that, this information is corroborated by repeated research and studies and readings taken by the International Atomic Energy uh, Agency. And uh, according to the Russian side, all this, this provocation, what they call it, is being done to fertilize the soil ahead of the UN General Assembly, which is scheduled to take place on the 22nd uh, this month. And apparently Ukraine is looking to push a resolution, very much pro-Ukrainian resolution and anti-Russian and this is done well to well to prepare the soil and to win the hearts and minds of the UN delegates again it is important that whatever resolution uh, will be accepted and will be voted on uh, uh, at the UN general assembly it will have the non-binding effect so it won't be it will just be a call to the UN member states it will be just a call but it won't really oblige any country or any side to anything Tax officials in India have raided two BBC offices in the cities of New Delhi and Mumbai. The raids Tuesday morning came as part of a tax evasion investigation. Just weeks after the news broadcaster aired a documentary critical of the country's current prime minister and his alleged role in the Gujarat riots back in 2002, which claimed the lives of nearly a thousand. RT correspondent Runjan Sharma brings us the details from New Delhi. Income tax officials have landed in BBC offices in New Delhi and in Mumbai. And as I speak, they are conducting a survey. They're calling it a survey, not a raid or a search at this point. What we've been given to understand is that phones, laptops of several journalists have been seized. And uh, here in New Delhi, where I am right now, around 11 a.m., taxmen went inside the BBC office. They are still there. Nobody is allowed to go out or in from the office. Interesting that this comes almost a month after the BBC documentary on Prime Minister Narendra Modi, his role in the violence in the communal riots in Gujarat of 2002 was released by BBC London office. Remember, it was banned in India. It was removed from several social media accounts as well. Now, 
the, what the opposition is saying is the government is uh, using the agencies for when data against BBC. Uh, but uh, what we've been given to understand from our sources in the income tax department is uh, that uh, uh, this has been done allegedly because of uh, tax manipulation, financial misappropriation, and also that several notices were sent to BBC in the past and that they have failed to respond to those. Uh, now, of course, these uh, surveys are on currently as we talk in the New Delhi and in the uh, Mumbai offices. In fact, uh, there's a statement that has been released by the BBC saying that the income tax authorities are currently at BBC offices in New Delhi, in Mumbai, and we are fully cooperating. We hope to have a solution resolved as soon as possible. At a meeting of the Iranian and Chinese presidents in Beijing, both leaders have signed agreements to further expand bilateral cooperation in various fields. The deals include areas such as crisis management, international trade, export and many other key spheres. Chinese leader Xi Jinping has welcomed Iranian President Ebrahim Raisi as he makes his first ever state visit to China, with a large delegation of senior cabinet members accompanying him during his three-day trip. It comes as both countries refused to give in to strong Western pressure praising their bilateral relations prior to the visit. His CGTN correspondent Yun Fei Zhao with more from the meeting. Beijing says President Raisi's three-day visit can further boost the comprehensive strategic partnership uh, between the two sides. So the two presidents also um, ex exchanged very significant, uh, important uh, topics on international issues. Uh, Xi said that uh, China supports Iran's stance in protecting its sovereignty and territorial integrity, and that any confrontation should be resolved through dialogue and negotiation. Racy also uh, uh, says both nations are against hegemony and unilateralism. He says Iran is willing to strengthen communication uh, with China on regional affairs as well as international affairs. China sees such a cooperation does not target any uh, third parties, and the relationship between the two is based on really multiple areas of common interest uh, as well as the interests of the world peace. Residents of a refugee camp near Jerusalem have reportedly gone on strike. That's after Israel raided the area in response to the deadly stabbing of a police officer on Monday. In a separate incident, the one Palestinian man has been killed and several others injured in another raid north of the West Bank. RT's Middle East correspondent Maria Finoshna, now in Jerusalem, takes a closer look at the rising tensions between Israel and Palestine. Earlier on Monday, a young Israeli border police officer died following a stabbing attack at the checkpoint to the Shuafad refugee camp just five kilometers from Jerusalem's old city. It happened when he got on a bus for security check and apparently one of the passengers pulled out the knife and attacked him. Investigation is currently undergoing, but preliminary reports by Israeli police say that uh, a security guard who saw this attack tried to stop the attack and opened fire, but the bullet ended up killing the officer. He died later from injuries. The attacker was arrested on the spot. He is a 13-year-old boy, the resident of the Shuafat refugee camp. Shortly after that, the Israeli forces raided the camp, and as a result, the attacker's parents and his brothers were arrested. Clashes broke out between local residents and the Israeli police during this raid. No casualties have been reported. The country's national security minister, Benny Gvir, is now considering to shut down 
all entrances and exits to the Shrafat refugee camp for several days for security reasons. This recent attack happened just hours after another incident when a young Jewish man was stabbed in his back in the old city of Jerusalem by a teenager who was later also identified as the resident of the refugee camp of Shuafat. It has been quite turbulent here on the ground lately and some explain it by a very hard line that the country's new government chooses regarding Palestinian affairs to what Palestinians respond violently and angrily. The IDF military raids have been intensifying all throughout the occupied West Bank, especially in the northern part of it. According to latest reports, 48 Palestinians have been killed in these raids since the beginning of this year, including civilians. The demolitions of the Palestinian houses that Israel sees as illegal have also been in full swing, including in eastern Jerusalem. There are casualties from the other side, too. Ten Israeli civilians have been killed in two terror attacks, including here in eastern Jerusalem. Again, a deadly shooting near the synagogue in one of the religious neighborhoods and a ramming incident just last week that took the lives of three people, including two children. And also recently, there has been a rocket exchange with the Gaza Strip. So yes, I have to say that temperatures are rising here on the ground recently and fears are that we're going to see even more dramatic escalation as Israel is determined to continue its harsh policy and Palestinians will obviously respond to the head of the Palestinian National Initiative, who says Israel's new government is not open to negotiations at all. The nature of the new Israeli government, which is not only extreme, not only the most racist in the history of Israel, but actually it is a government that has fascists in it, very uh, seriously uh, dangerous uh, fascists like Bingvir and Smotrich, and those are the ones who are controlling all the security apparatus that deals with the Palestinian people. They have plans to ethnically cleanse certain Palestinian communities in the so-called Area C, like Masafiriyatta and Khan al-Ahmar. These, these are very dangerous four factors that this Israeli government is following, and they have said very clearly they have no place for negotiations, they will never accept a Palestinian state, they will not sit even with people from the Palestinian Authority. So they are sending one message to Palestinians, that they understand only the language of force. And they are practicing only the language of force and oppression. In an exclusive interview to RT, Russia's ambassador to Tanzania, Andrei Avedisian, says that Moscow and the East African country have a promising future, cooperating in spheres such as economy, tourism and more. I think the prospects for cooperation with Tanzania and other African countries right now are very broad. I would like to start by mentioning our trade and economic relations, which are already in full swing. First and foremost, we could deal with agricultural products, because as we know, Russian grain, sunflower oil and other agricultural products and fertilizers are in great demand here in Tanzania. This could be the basis for developing our agricultural exports. Tanzania is also interested in accessing the Russian agricultural market. We're already conducting talks in this field. Apart from agriculture, we see the prospective development of mineral resources, which we've been working with for a long time. Almost every day I receive letters or meet with businessmen interested in trading with Russia. Tanzania is also a very interesting destination for tourism. Before the border was closed due to the pandemic, 
More than 80,000 Russian tourists visited Tanzania, particularly resorts on the island of Zanzibar. Therefore, it would also be important for Russian investors to come in to build tourism infrastructure here. The Tanzanian government has invited us, and it is very much looking forward to investments in this area. Political relations with African countries have traditionally been good, and during the struggle for Africans for their independence, we supported them wholeheartedly. And now it is time to develop economic relations as well. There is interest in BRICS, not only in Tanzania, but also among other countries, interested in multilateralism and bilateral cooperation. As for Tanzania, it has not officially expressed a desire to join BRICS yet, but given that it would promote comprehensive relations with the other five BRICS countries, such a potential cannot be excluded. As the grim anniversary of the U.S. invasion of Iraq approaches the 20-year mark, here on RT we continue our special coverage of one of the deadliest conflicts of the 21st century. At this hour, American and coalition forces are in the early stages of military operations to disarm Iraq, to free its people, and to defend the world from grave danger. Tuesday marks the 20th anniversary of a UN Security Council meeting where the head of the United Nations monitoring mission stated that there were no traces of weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. However, this didn't stop the U.S., which used the false WMD narrative as a pretext for invading the country in March 2003. Ahead of the war, Washington flatly rejected the idea of peace regulations proposed by countries, including France. In this temple of the United Nations, we are the guardians of an ideal, the guardians of a conscience. The onerous responsibility and immense honor we have must lead us to give priority to disarmament in peace. We are facing a difficult situation. More inspectors, sorry, it's not the answer. Top U.S. officials were not the only ones justifying the invasion. Western media actively followed their lead, closely observing and supporting the bombing of Baghdad. And on the ground, American reporters worked around the facts to whitewash the illegal war. One of the U.S. Army journalists who was there shared her memories and regrets with us. So 2005 to 2006, I went to Iraq. 2007 to 2008. By the time I got out, um, I you know, just realized that um, it was much different from how it had been painted and I didn't want to be a journalist anymore, per se. Part of my job was to sort of control the media narrative, help control the media narrative that was coming out of Iraq.
I went out with a unit that was doing a night raid in a village where there were supposedly some high value targets. The team I was with, you know, knocked down, knocked, you know, kicked in a few doors, scared some people, uh, you know, did a lot of, a lot of, you know, intimidating of people and entering of buildings, but did not come back with anyone. But the other teams did. And so the next day, this was a night raid, so in the morning, I went out to the place where they were detaining people, where they had all the detainees, and they had them all lined up, um, just blindfolded, zip-tied, just kneeling on the ground. And, um, you know, there was no, these people's identities were not given. Um, it was, it just seemed to me like it was just, it was a lot of random people to me. Or when we detained them, anyway, so the story I had to write was, um, you know, that this mission had been largely successful and we had detained 90 insurgents. I always kind of go back to that as like, all we were ever really trying to do was provide the illusion of control and of winning. Um, but what we were doing was terrorizing communities. I think the U.S. has fully realized its dream of, um, you know, becoming the largest terrorist organization. I see it as a tragedy on every level. Um, I see it as senseless loss of life. You know, the achievements are all very dark and negative and terrible, nothing having to do with anyone's liberation. We destroyed the infrastructure in Iraq. We destroyed, um, you know, basically chased the entire professional class out of Iraq. We um, completely destabilized its political system so that we could control it. So, you know, we essentially privatized Iraq. The human costs of the invasion were immense, and despite the war being officially over, Iraqis still suffer the consequences of U.S. presence in the country today. And civilians frequently become targets of American violence. One of these victims is an Iraqi girl who was shot and killed in September last year. Her relatives shared her story with us. She was a student. She was helping me with my work. Like any child, she dreamed about finishing school and becoming a teacher. She was only in her early youth. It definitely was an American bullet. I think that the responsibility lies primarily with U.S. troops. I didn't expect that Zanib would be killed. Maybe it could have happened to my brother or any other family member or neighbors, but not to Zanib. She used to get out of the house only for two hours. The incident with Zainab is not the first. We've suffered from these shootings constantly as the training grounds are behind us. There's been more than 14 cases of people wounded by the trainings. We've even called on the officials to deal with the shootings, which has led to casualties. 
I don't believe the crime has been reported internationally, but locally, it has become a matter of great public opinion. For what sin was she killed? The martyr Zainab Issam Majid Al-Khazali, 15-year-old girl walking on the farm with her father, killed by American troops. With the silence of civil society organizations, human rights organizations, children's rights organizations, and women's rights. My father was martyred in 2003 by U.S. troops. There was a camp near our house, which was adjacent to the airport. Their troops were always on standby, and when they saw my father sitting there and thought he was monitoring them, they shot him. Later, they admitted they made a mistake when they killed him. Only when we were at the hospital, the Americans told me that their camera spotted my father and accidentally they shot him. But no contact was made after that. Americans only care about themselves, while other foreign citizens, not only Iraqis, are taken into account last of all. The Iraqi blood is worthless for them. Americans only have brought harm to us. Things have been getting worse and worse since the invasion, and we do not see any improvement. I would like to say to all Americans that the Iraqis have dignity despite the tragedy which happened to us. If they were humane, they would come and apologize. But they did nothing, and we do not expect them to. The invasion of Iraq has led to the destruction and fragmentation of Iraqi society. Americans destroyed our national unity. We all saw the crimes perpetrated by the U.S. troops and the Blackwater contractors against the people. The murder of Zainab is a continuation of the American crimes. They did not come to do justice to Iraqi people, but to demolish us. We'll bring you more special coverage, including eyewitness accounts and revelations, as we edge closer to the 20th anniversary of the U.S.-led invasion. And you can always visit our website, rt.com, for more on the Iraq War and its tragic legacy.